Hey folks, welcome back to the Wild Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Ayers. And in this podcast, we want to share mentorship to learn how to hunt, fish, and gather wild food. Our goal is to reduce barriers and create an inclusive and welcoming community for all folks who want to learn how to eat wild. So join us as we share stories, ethics, adventures, and knowledge about a way of life that's rooted in eating wild. Hey folks, welcome back to the Eat Wild Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Ayers. Hey, so in this podcast, I'm sitting down with my good friend, Chris Prin, and we're talking about blacktail hunting and a little bit about bear hunting as well and a few other stories to throw in there for you. So Chris is an avid and passionate hunter. He's a conservationist. He hosts the Behind the Glass hunting podcast. He's also part of a production crew that has put together several adventure hunting films and uh, it's just an all-around good guy and uh, most notably he jumps in on our eat wild mentor team here and there to share knowledge and passion for for hunting so it's this conversation we had last year and, and i guess we just sort of had it a little bit late and there was a few other things going on in the world so it just didn't feel right to drop it then um but uh just coming back to with some time here to uh have a fresh listen to it and there's some great stories here and since we're sort of in the middle of blacktail hunting season i i thought i'd put it out there for folks to enjoy now this was last year and uh and obviously there's been some tremendous events that have happened to us here in in in, in british columbia in the past couple of weeks and actually chris is at the epicenter of it his his home is in uh is uh is in in the area that has been most affected by the flooding that's that's happened here in British Columbia. Almost three three hundred millimeters of rain uh, came down over the course of twenty four hours, and and subsequent heavy rainstorms on either side of that caused dramatic flush flooding throughout the Sumas uh, Valley, as well as uh, several debris flows and and such that have wiped out basically access to all arteries coming and going from. The lower mainland of the vancouver area so it's a remarkable thing what's happened and uh chris is sort of li- living right in the epicenter of that as far as i can tell there was a serious uh slide that went across his uh right right through his property too, too. so pretty overwhelming stuff happening for all our good friends out there in the valley and and uh it's going to be a long process as we uh work towards getting things cleaned up so if you're here in the lower mainland i think over the next couple of weeks we should all be hands on deck to do what we can to help out those uh, folks in the valley that have suffered tremendous loss and damage, and we got to be ready with, uh, yeah, ready to head out there and 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 volunteer and do what we can. Okay, so um, this podcast is brought to you by our good friends at uh, West Coast Kitchen Canada. Now they make uh, freeze dried food for backpack adventures, and uh, if you uh, go to their website and do put an order in, you get use the Eat Wild discount code for a ten percent discount. And you'll certainly um, be nourished on your next adventure. Okay, let's get into this one. Cool. Okay, tell me, tell me a little bit about what Behind the Glass is all about, and the podcast and the other production company that you're doing. Yeah, the production company. I mean, like, I'm not going to take credit for that. That's all Nick Tealman. Like, Nick, Nick's uh, Nick Tealman at Fargon Media. He's the guy that puts out all the all the great videos that people have seen with my ugly mug in them. And, he, and if you see a nice photo of me, he probably took it. 
Um, and you know, that's quite a feat to get me looking good in a picture. So, um, that's all Nick. You know, I like to, I like to learn from as much as I can with the camera and such like, and, uh, yeah, I just love having him tag along on hunts. We have a good time and, uh, behind the glass sort of is the, that's something we sort of conceptualized together. It was a cool little idea behind the glass. So, you know, there was two meanings behind the, behind the camera lens and behind binoculars. Um, yeah, and we just uh, sort of started this conversation about going on these hunts, doing cool hunts, and having a cameraman in tow. Um, yeah, I know. Just we thought it was a cool little thing to talk about, and it's we've spoken from everything from fart jokes and pooping posture to uh, conservation issues. We've had you know Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance on, a um, bunch of backcountry hunters. Uh, Direct, regional directors have been on yeah we just have a lot of fun and we, we try and tell a hunting story along the way sort of a play-by-play for the year and what hunts we're going on and how we're preparing for them yeah right on yeah that's kind of fun I, I like i like that's i like doing that as well just telling the story of how hunts come together i was just telling you before i just had a great call and kind of landed my sheep hunt and where we're going and sort of got the feasibility of our sheep hunt figured out. So there's some, there's some logistical challenges that we had to puzzle out. So we just doing got another, another hectic thing with uh, float, like floating down rivers and all that stuff or. Yeah, I think I've recovered from the, like the, the, the shock and fear from the last time. So I think I've forgotten about it enough. Like the re- remembering <laughs> those whitewater days has like dulled in my memory enough that. I think I'm going to sign up for another one. So, yeah, that turned it's turned turned from fear to fun. Yeah, yeah. Looking back on it fondly, those like beautiful. Like, there's like uh, there's like some moments of paddling that are just like it's so pristine and lovely and just so much fun. And then there's moments where like I might die today. Yeah, it's like what am I doing it's, here? This is yeah, like somewhere ridiculous. in between. <laughs> yeah, somewhere there's not a ram good enough out there for me to die. <laughs> no, it's like but then, but to get into some of these places, like he, like. I mean, the, like the reality is there's a bit of competition to get to these wilderness places, whether you're walking off the highway or fly into a lake or fly into a strip. Um, you know, so the, the, it's always sort of like, you know, how much adventure, how are you willing to put up with in order to isolate yourself from, you know, a larger group of hunters that may add pressure to your hunting experience? And and so this, that's the combination. So right now exploring this pack crafting world, um, yeah, I guess it just involved. If you're going to do that, you're going to end up, you know, rafting some rivers, and that's yeah, learning that now, which is kind of fun, kind of exciting. Oh, absolutely! So. Any time to doing it. Like, I mean, uh, well, spoiler alert: we're actually doing my, and I have to talk to you about it. Um, this year, I'm doing my first stone sheep hunt, and uh, I'm doing a fly-in trip. Okay. Yeah, and like I know, I know nothing about it really, um, Devon. One of my main hunting partners and one of my best buddies there, he he sort of put the thing together and sort of just he said, "I'm I'm sick of asking you. I'm booking this plane. Uh, if you want to get on it, this is the day I'm leaving." And as soon as he said that, I got uh, what do they call it? FOMO, fear of missing out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I called him up. I think I let it sit for a day or two, and I called him up and I said, "I, I don't care what what's going on. I'm coming." Yeah, right on. Yeah. So, so which lake are you guys flying? What lake are you flying into? Yeah, what lake we're flying into? Yeah, you're right. No, we're not. We're not. We're we're, we're taking pack raft. Uh, we're paddling up the river. I think 75 <laughs> miles upstream in pack rafts. 
And I think there we're going to we're getting some horses dropped off by helicopter, and then we're going to get on the horses for another two hundred mile or something. <laughs> Good, I'll see you up there. That's exactly yeah, so, where I'm going. That's what you're doing too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty much sounds like the same trip. Yeah, no. Okay, we'll, we'll talk about it after. I'll, I'll I'll prod you a bit, see what I can get out of you. Um, all right. Uh, so this yeah. podcast. Go on. <laughs> anyway, so this podcast, what I want to talk about with you, Chris, is uh, I want to talk about blacktail hunting. And sure. what I thought would be kind of fun for the for the time we have together is to talk about the learning process of blacktail hunting because because you, you're a relatively new hunter um, yeah. here in in BC, and uh, and you you got a lot of passion and drive for it. Um, and I've been hunting for a long time, but I'm actually kind of a new blacktail hunter as well. So I'm kind of fired up about it. So that's why I really wanted to talk to you is about, let's talk about what we know about black hunt, blacktail hunting and, and, and uh, talk a little bit about that learning process. Um, is, is blacktail hunting the first deer that you started hunting here since you kind of start, took up hunting? Um, I mean, it's probably the first deer that I, pursued just because it was so close um but it's certainly not the first year i had success with um i think my first deer here in bc was a mule deer my first two deer were mule deer then a white tail then eventually a black tail um yeah black tail hunting's hard dude i i i truly do think that i know some guys can consistently deliver and normally get into a good buck every year um, I'm, de- I'm definitely struggling and that makes me love it even more if I'm honest, because they're kind of elusive. Yeah. I, I, that's sort of, I actually, so for many years, like I would, I wouldn't even consider putting the time into some of these blacktail spots here in and around, you know, the, the, the lower mainland and coast. Cause I was like, why, why would you like, like spend the time there when you can just drive another three hours and get into you know, beautiful open mule deer country or even another hour or so. And then you're into whitetail country and like it's open expanse, you know, open, comfortable country with lots of animals to hunt. Like I often, that was like, that was my math. It's like, well, I, I could spend two less hours of my life pushing through slogging through like thick, ugly coastal forest with no deer in it. And I could spend two more hours driving through like lovely dry grassland country and, and invest my time that way and see way more deer and have more success. I thought that was like my math for years. Well, it um, makes perfect sense. And uh, yeah, like if you, if you're interested in getting a deer down every year um, for whatever purpose, uh, that's probably the way to go. I don't know if blacktail hunting's the, it's not easy enough to be, like your sole source of deer for meat, I assume. Like if you if you just if you just if you just want to go and get a deer, like you're better off driving into the Okanagan and hunting a mule deer. You're gonna you're gonna spend less days afield to get that one deer, I think. So I do know some guys that kill two oh, black tailed deer a year. And um you're, you when you say your buddy, it's like how how do they do it? Do you know what type of hunting they do? Like do they stand hunt? Do they alpine hunt them or like these successful blacktail hunters that are supposedly out there well they're, they're i think they're timber ninjas um like and i am not and this is this is what's really pushing me into blacktail hunting hanging out with guys like you that creep through the woods silently and you know you, you're you I, I sat in on your still hunting seminar the other night which was great i learned a lot um you know 
you're talking about sneaking up on bedded whitetail and you know being a real stealthy unit in the bush my forte is getting high on a hill and using binoculars so to me i I identified it as a hole in my hunting game that i wanted to work on and i assume that what they're doing successfully is spending the time not just the one week they're hunting but spending time all year identifying habitat working out where those deer live and then systematically picking it apart every time they hit the hit the bush with, do, do you think yeah, they through, uh, go on oh sorry are they are they using cameras and stuff do you think to like pattern like when you say like kind of figure it out do guys actually pa- like use cameras and stuff for black deals? well i i use a ton devon and i have got a ton of cameras spread out um and we've got them they're not doing us any flipping good they're just costing us money on batteries and fuel um we've got i think like six cameras spread out over a square kilometer and without fail every time we go check cameras the cards are just about overflowing uh that we are we've got we've we've got the pocket we've nailed the pocket but it's not doing us any good all it does is show us that the deer was there after we left uh Mm. you can the cameras aren't without the cameras you'd you just without the cameras you'd still know the deer are there just based on the amount of tracks and like well yeah well-worn deer trails the cameras are just exciting because it shows you the kind of bucks that you might expect to see and then you get to recognize them so so i'm kind of interested in this so you've got all your cameras in one kilometer area like a small area tiny area tiny huh yeah no it's uh it's and this is what I think this is where people struggle with blacktail and I struggle with it too is you can walk miles of miles of region to timbered hillside and not even see a bit of blacktail poop but uh then you find these little pockets and you can't step without stepping in blacktail poop so that's what I found I found they live in pockets and you might have the perfect mix of uh you know aspect and slope and timber and the blacktail just aren't there you need i find they're in pockets is that what you found i mean you you got it you got yourself into a really nice blacktail this year did you find that they're in a pocket or are you how did it go for you oh 100 pockets would be that resonates with me for sure and and um i mean that's sort of just some degree that's how it works with all deer species and like i find that there's certainly much higher densities of whitetails in certain pockets and, and mule deer as well. But blacktail more than anything, that, that was one thing that I, so I, yeah, that's one thing I've learned, like in my experience with blacktail, I think it's been a kind of this one area that we've been going into for three, I think three years now, just mm-hmm. for a few, two or three days every year. And, but I really have the first two days, I really turned up very little in terms of the first two years turned up very little, I just kept trying different spots that I thought would should or would be deery and they proved not to be deery with limited sign. And then this year I, I, I kind of pushed a little bit of a different direction and really found, Oh, well, I found two pockets of what were quite a few deer and, and focused my hunting at efforts in that one little spot. And it turned up a few deer and a, and a, and a buck for, but I, but I think knowing that spot now, like like everything, like I think I could probably go back there and shoot a deer, you know, every year if 
Because I just think it's a spot like that. Yeah, I think that's how it's supposed to work in theory. And I think that's what the guys that do it consistently, I think that's what they're doing. I don't know what's going on where I'm hunting. Um, I've spent the last three years sort of combing this area. I've only just the last two years have we really nailed down the pocket and we've tried to sort out the, I'll get into the where, where they're traveling and such, but I've seen two bucks during legal hunting um, season. Yeah. One was a spike and the other one I shot. I, I've, okay. during, during hunting season, I've not seen bucks in the flesh in this area, but the camera yeah. is littered with bucks. The cameras are littered with bucks. Um, and like, that's not, we don't, I don't have like six cameras on one tree or anything like that. Um, we, what, what I've been able to identify is we're on, we're on the side of a mountain, obviously. Um, it's, everything's yeah. mountains and we've identified a bit of a, a pinch point where the mountain naturally contours into a small bowl. And that was where we first started to by absolute fluke. I, I promise you by absolute fluke. Uh, my first, uh, the first trail camera I ever ever purchased. I just wanted to put them out in the bush and see what was going on. So I just drove out to this spot that I hadn't really given much time to, and uh, hung a camera in a tree. And I went back and checked it like two weeks later, and I got one buck on camera, one good buck on. I got, there was some smaller bucks, but one really good buck on camera. One photograph walking away and we could, I could just see a very heavy, very wide antler in the frame. That's all I could see. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was really cool. And that like that got the blood pump. And so and, and that was it. And so I spent more time going in there and then started to cast a net with the cameras, cast a net to see where they were. The the heavy game trails weren't there at this time of year. Um so casting a net to find more and more deer. And then as now I now I go in there all year. Devin and I spend as much time as we can in there. And we've identified all these trails and this one bowl that they're moving through. And then we can find the trails that leave that bowl. So we've got cameras on all of those. Um, and the, the way we hunt this area is yeah, basically still hunting through that zone at different elevations and like I said, it's only a kilometer and we'll go in and pro- and spend two or three hours and do a, do one pass. Uh, and if, the, if we've got the energy, we'll, we'll do a, And if the, the wind will permit, we'll do one, we'll do another pass on the way back. And, and that's pretty well the hunt. It's a systematic approach that we're trying to pull off. We haven't had success yet. I'd love to hear from some of those experienced blacktail guys, like the guys that do it every single year. Um, and find out where I'm going wrong. Well, would you, do you guys? First of all, question: Do you, do you hunt together when you do this? No, no. So okay. if we go in together, then we'll definitely we'll use two we'll use the two different elevations, or yeah, we'll, okay. um, yeah, like so. If we go in together, like uh, Devin might come in from one side, and I'll come in from the other at different elevations, and see, see if we can't work together, but. Yeah, it's pretty tough. Every now and then, yeah. we, we, you know, we, we we spook a bit deer off. We're probably just not good enough in the timber, to be honest. We need to spend more time traipsing around yeah. with some 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 blacktail 
whispers. Blacktail whispers. Yeah. yeah, I I mean I think so much of that is is like you know that sneak into the woods thing. It's so much about the having the right conditions, like it being um because the coast, man, like it's just so tough. Like if it's if it's if it's a nice day out, everything dries out and it's so noisy. Mm-hmm. And it's just like because there's so much brush, you can't push through anything without making a pile of noise. And then, you know, but a little bit of wind, a bit of rain really, you know, really creates some camouflage, like noise camouflage yes. for you to to sneak through. So, you know, part of it might just be, you know, maybe not hunting it on the noisy days and picking a good wet, shitty, windy day. And then that's the day you you push through there, you know, and um, hopefully my wife's getting used to it now, like, you know, come hunting season, if it's piss and rain outside and, you know, it's 10 o'clock and I'm home from work and I'm running running through the house putting on rain gear she uh she stopped asking questions she knows what i'm doing <laughs> yeah yeah definitely it makes all the difference like this oh really, was, uh... really i mean it, it sucks to be out there getting wet but exactly unfortunately when it's raining i can't hear that much either but it it is the perfect camouflage like everything is wet and it's softer you don't get that leaves brushing across the rain gear as loud the ground softer and there's just the the white noise of the the rain that's just white yeah. noise to block everything else out yeah yeah i i love it i think i i find that i find way more deer on days like that and like you're like 20 minutes from your house so like you're gonna like get soaked soaked the ass and then you get to like come home to a nice warm home and yep. throw your stuff in the dryer jump in the shower and like do it all yeah, again get tomorrow. That. <laughs> yeah exactly like, I, I that's the part that's so neat I, it's a bit of a drive for me because i come out from you know to get out to where i think is decent black tail country it's a good couple hours for me to but even that's not that bad i mean like two hours for a day hunt it's not bad i mean it'd be better if i we, we've spent a couple nights out just you know on the side of the road there and hung out so yeah. I, I think I, I think chris i and i i think you probably hunt the same hill that my my good friend Larry Woodrow, who's like one of my main hunting mentors and such a good guy, um, he's been telling me for years. He's like, you got to go up this ridge and hunt this spot because yeah. it's a good spot. And I finally like like, and I, I feel kind of badly saying this to you because we, I, no. Mickey and I fi- fi- finally go. We're like, okay, we we drive up there and get into this zone. And I kind of look at the hill. I'm like, oh, that's a good pocket there. Okay, and so we walk up there, and we get into some nice. Like, we kind of climb some elevation. There's no sign. And then all of a sudden we we get up to a bit of an elevation. There's a few trails, and I'm like, okay, let's let's just work this elevation. So we just start like contouring across, and we stop. And there's a couple of deer. Okay, there's some deer there, some deer there. Great. And then we walk to them for a while, and then we walk another hundred meters, and there's like a doe and a little and a you know two point buck standing next to her. So we watch them for a while. And Mickey's a new hunter, so this was like her. You know, we were sort of trying to set her up to to potentially get her first deer and it this deer was not really i mean it wasn't really presenting that the the easiest of shots so but it was still exciting and awesome and seems like so like mickey's perspective on black tail hunting is like the first spot you go you're gonna see four deer and a buck in the first <laughs> hour and like you know had she just felt a little more comfortable she probably would have had her first buck you know down and within you know an hour and a half of her first black tail hunt so 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 for yeah, some I mean, people, I, that's what black tail hunting's like. That's right, and yeah, you know, there's people like I got a, a mate here in uh, in Chilliwack, uh, and uh, his name's Hunter. He shot a beautiful, beautiful black tail, and you look at him in his photograph with his deer, 
He's got his car keys hanging off his belt. Like he's totally like, you know, he's not soaking wet. I'm like, how did, how did this happen? And I'd, I'd have to double check on the story, but it was like that. He, you know, he, he stumbled into a beautiful, beautiful buck. Yeah. And that just happened. Yeah, I don't sure. know. So maybe I'm just, uh, maybe I'm in the wrong spot. Might be doing it wrong. Well, I kind of, I have, I have a bit of a feeling, Chris, that the spot that we walked into, I, I did see a camera or two on our way. I think we were hunting your spot. If I was I, to guess, uh, well, we can confirm off air, but Larry mentioned a couple of spots to me, and I do hunt one of Larry's spots, but I don't know if this is the same one. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, that, that was that's a wonder. It sort of sounds familiar the way you described yeah. it, but was I don't Larry, think any of those, Larry's uh, spot extra berry. It's a pretty berry spot. Yeah, I know the spot he's talking about. That's good hunting up there. Yeah, it's a little bit lower than the berry spot, I'd say, but. Yeah. Anyways, that that's we're probably giving now we're giving away real information. Someone's like, is a bear spot and a deer spot? They're gonna mm-hmm. know where it is. We don't want to give that away. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So okay. So what um what type of habitat do you find black-tailed deer in? You know, at least in, in the Lower Mainland. What are you predominantly hunting? Oh. Thick, nasty timber. And then you bust through the thick, nasty timber and then you get into some more open, sparse timber. Uh, I guess that would be old growth. I presume. Um, like that's, they don't look like logged hillsides where where I'm hunting anyway. Uh, yeah, I mean, south-facing slope. I'm, I'm hunting a south-facing slope I'm not, yeah, you might be asking the wrong guy. I'm not. I'm not finding a bunch of deer. I just know a bunch of deer <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I got a. T- yeah. I've got a thousand dollars worth of cameras tied to trees out there. So, um, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that, cool. that's where I'm, that's where I'm finding them. I'm finding them in in the pockets where you can actually walk and see. Okay, so so you're managing to sort of get up to where there might be some remnant. Uh, old growth forest or at least mature forest that hasn't mature been cut. Forest, yeah. Yeah. And, and there's some, it gets to like, I think, you know, I think, I think like a, a 80 plus year old fur stand starts to open up again and you can have some view corridors again and starts to have some characteristics, old growth characteristics, you'd call it that, mm-hmm. you know, allow for some food and, and, and other stuff to develop. Um, old man's, old man's beard, we call it, or that lichen that hangs off the trees, which is, you know, I, those are the things that I start to, key in on to, to know that that's good good deer country uh, or potentially good deer country but the sightability is so key like they're they probably live in that thick stuff too it's just that you can't hunt or see them so you kind of yeah. got to keep moving through it yeah i agree i mean because it's always in the thick stuff that i seem to bust one off and you can hear it run away and you, you never really got a chance to see it so yeah once once it once it starts to opens up that's when i really i i I turn on that still hunting technique and one, two steps, stop, look around at everything, look every other, look every direction, try not to move too much. And then one, two steps. And uh, that's exhausting doing that. That's uh, mentally and physically taxing. I think you actually said on your your course the other night, you think you feel like you're tiptoeing through the forest and that's why you're getting tuckered out so quick. Yeah. Yeah, you get tuckered out by 11, 11 o'clock. I sh- my body starts to shut down. It's like, oh, let's go home for a nap. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, That's how it goes when Dev and I are hunting. Yeah. Like we normally go backpack, backpack hunting together and we spend seven days just like nose to the grindstone, just giving it. And then uh, we, go, we go blacktail hunting and I sort of pull the pin. And I'm like, oh, I'm just, I'm not going to bother to find Dev and I'm just going to sneak out early and I'll just sneak back to the car because I'm so exhausted. And I get back there and he's right behind me or he's right in front of me. It's, we're both just or he's already out. napping in the truck. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, well, and like particularly like, crawling around that it's uh not hurting yourself is a fairly significant thing in black tail country because you've got the wetness and the slope and a lot of rock and a lot of moss like um and then there's no there's not that many places you can actually put your foot down on the ground you typically have to put your foot down on a log or over Mm -hmm. a log or in between so i find there's a high level of focus that's required like to just to stay on your feet without falling on your ass and you know getting a yeah falling over top of a log or something uncomfortable like or, or straight up dangerous like and that, definitely and not like strolling or strolling no. around the grasslands you know <laughs> like, and that's the worst i find it's like well two two things one you get cliffed out i feel like i get cliffed out more than anything else uh, you know and if you're not familiar with getting cliffed out that's you know you're picking a line and all of a sudden you're either at the top or the bottom of a cliff and you've got to go all the way back or try and find a way around or you you've just put on a a ninja seminar for the last 15 minutes and uh you've been you've made less noise than a butterfly and then yeah mm-hmm. you, you you slip and make an almighty crunch and let out a cuss word and and then you start kicking yeah and then you hear your work yeah 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 and then you hear the crashing going off in the distance i actually use um, something that you said i did a question i do i did a q a podcast i don't know maybe 10 episodes ago and uh somebody yeah. somebody asked me on that what were like some of the best tips that I'd learned like general tips. And one of them was actually something that I'd learned. I picked up from you and you might've picked it up from somebody as well. It was, uh, I'm going to butcher it. Um, don't step on something you can step over and don't step over something you can step around. Yeah. And I thought that was fantastic. And I, I actually think about that constantly when I'm in the blacktail woods, huh. just because I, I'm, all those logs that are laying on the ground in the blacktail woods, they're mostly rotten out and they're not going to take my 200-pound frame. They're going to collapse and make a little bit of a crunch. So I'm always thinking about that. So there you go. You're in my head when I'm blacktail hunting. That's why I'm having no success. Jesus, I'm sorry to be in your head, man. That's that's hilarious. Well, that's a good line, though, and it's something that, you know, I think about that a lot when I'm sheep hunting, actually. like uh, Just being super conscious of the decisions I make and am I getting myself progressively into a hairier and hairier situation that i might not be able to get back out of especially if you get a, like it's awful well and good to go like you, you can navigate things better when you're feeling fit and you're not tired mm-hmm. but you know coming back like when you're 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 beat up and not to mention if you have an animal with you um on your back like you, you kind of have to keep that in mind like you still got to get out of there so some of the terrain that you're navigating or some of the routes that you're picking through like yeah you've got to be mindful if you can have if you if you got it you need to get back out but i, I like that say excuse me i don't i actually don't know where i got it from but I, I i i do i do i do like it and i share it in my core class and a few other spots just to yeah to remind myself that i actually hurt my back once um uh i was in white i was hunting whitetails and there was this big patch of blowdown and it's all like those pine tree blowdown and you know the the biggest risk of stepping on a log is it it'll often have bark on it now if the bark is starting to break off it could just be sort of 
sitting on top of the log with a thin skin of um, moisture between the mm-hmm. the bark and the and the wet log. And if you touch that bark with well, st- step on it, it can slip out underneath your foot. Like it, it just and just like right now, you can go from standing to laying flat on your back. And, <laughs> and, and I did that. I I, I was like walking through this patch of blowdown, kind of skipping over top of it, kind of avoiding hitting the ground because it was too much energy to go down to the ground, then back up and over. So I was just skipping over top. And of course the bark slipped off the branch and I just went like, you know, feet straight up in the air, back, back first down onto the log below me. Holy and, uh, smokes, dude. Yeah. And it was just, they had a couple of, it was a branch that kind of drove through into up into my spine and holy um, shit. <laughs> yeah. It was really shitty, man. So that was like a 10 year back injury. From that, it took me ten years to figure that, like to get the muscles to realign or something like that. Holy, that. you're uh, you're Terrible. always in the war- wars getting hurt. Like, didn't you blow out a shoulder last year? Uh, no, you're the guy that blew out the shoulder, didn't you? On a I, I, yeah, I I blew out a shoulder. No, I thought yeah, I did hurt my shoulder, and I was thinking of that when you were talking about um your sheet pack craft there, like how the oh shit. I was I was thinking about my goat hunt. Like, yeah, in the time I hated everything about that hunt, but now I'm like, let's go now. Let's go back. I thought go you back. I thought you did your shoulder and and uh you had, uh, you guys had a moose to move or something. Yeah, yeah. I broke a rib. Oh, it was <laughs> putting a, rib? a case of beer. I broke my rib putting a oh, case of beer shit. in the boat. We were low we were we were launching the boats uh at the boat launch ahead of this what about to like a week or ten day elk hunt. And I was like reconfiguring, reconfiguring the, the beer cases in the bow of the boat. Uh-huh. And, and I was standing on the ground and re- le- reaching over the gunnel. And my feet sort of slipped just enough that, that I, I put all my weight onto my rib cage over top oh. of the aluminum gunnel on the boat. And I just heard crunch. And then I was pretty much screwed for that entire trip. I've had a broken rib. And yeah, it's, it's not good. You, just can't, you can't bear any weight on that side of the boat. Well, I found I couldn't lift or hold anything. It was hideous yeah. pain. Yeah, it's terrible. And, and like you can't there's sleep. Nothing they can do for yeah. it. It's just time. It's just don't don't no, screw and, up for the next six eight weeks. And then don't laugh. And I'm hunting with like the, I got my like my favorite crew of buds. Like they're just such characters. I mean, I just we just laugh the whole time. And like so, like I'm just you know we're sitting around the campfire every day and just like yeah, just the conversation's great. And I'm just like I just can't laugh because if I do, I yeah, it's just pain. So. Yeah, it was that was that was fun though. But and hey, they, no better they, way to like I forgave you for not packing out the samoose meat or Oh yeah, no, I was I was <laughs> yeah. I had enough adrenaline in me still, like after they put the moose down that like I, I was able to cut it up. And uh but once I'd cut it up, I'd kind of exhausted my pain threshold. So I was yeah. just like I was pretty spent. So they were happy to pack the moose out and it was only like five kilometers up and over a mountain, so they you know, no big deal. Yeah, no biggie. Yeah, no, no maybe, well, that's maybe an exaggeration. <laughs> I know no. that's a good pack out. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'd be shot yeah. <laughs> if I put my friends through that. No, no, it was an easy, slow downhill climb, about five hundred meters down. Oh, you're rivers. pulling my leg. Oh, I see. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no, they would shoot me. You would, you'd die if you tried to pack a moose five kilometers. It's, I was uh, talking to a fella. Now that we're on the topic, I was talking to a fella two years ago. Um. He, he works in the outdoor store here. He's a mate of mine. And he had won an LEH somewhere. I can't, I can't even remember where it was. An LEH, a moose LEH somewhere. And I was stoked for him. And I'm asking him the hunt plan. He's telling me all about it. And 
yeah, we're going to canoe this lake and then we're going to portage into this other lake and we're going to canoe that lake and then we're going to hunt. And I'm like, holy shit, dude. I'm like, how long is that portage? Like, how, how's that going to work? He's like, I don't know. Like, I'm not too sure. And I'm looking at it on a map. I'm like, that's a pretty good portage for a canoe and a moose. And I'm thinking, like, this is this is hardcore. And that's right. Yeah, they were going to be, from where they docked the canoes, they were going to hike like another three, four, five kilometers into a spot they wanted to hunt. And I'm like, man, what, like, what are you using for backpacks? And they, I think they were... They were legitimately running Trapper Nelson backpacks. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm just going, I'm like, dude, this is uh, this is too much too much terrain and the terrain's too ugly to move a moose, especially with the equipment you're using. And I, I don't, I think they end up having boat trouble and didn't actually get get to make it happen. But uh, those boys would have been in big trouble. I just... I could see that just from the map. I'm like, there's no, you, you, do, you wouldn't be able to do this. Like, this is, you need eight men to move that moose over that country in, mm-hmm. even in the best of yeah. conditions. There's got to be something yeah. to say eight, eight for people, uh, Eight people, actually. I, I, a lot of my hunting partners are willing yeah, yeah. to pack just as much moose as the guys. Uh, yeah, yeah. So. I do apologize. That was, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, Jody would tune you up for that. Yeah, she would. She'd, that's why. That's why I'm apologizing quickly so it doesn't come after me. Just slap <laughs> me behind the ear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, they, it it takes a moose is like genuinely, I'd say eight pack loads for a person who can pack eighty pounds. So it's you know that's because you got to factor in like I think a lot of people when they think about packing meat they they don't factor in like the fact that they're they're wearing you know, 10 pounds of clothes and, you know, the, the rifle and their binoculars and their day kit for one of the loads. And then you still got to go back in there and probably have a firearm and a couple other things because you don't really want to be without a firearm if you're around bears and such. Like, you know, it's a lot of like, you know, so it's usually like packing 80 pounds of meat is, is insane. That's a big load. And, and so then you're going to put the canoe on your head. Yeah. And your <laughs> camp and like, no, it's insane. No, this does. We had a, like, so that moose, uh, we we got that moose out, out of the bush and it was actually quite warm. It was we we, we were able to hang it like uh it's actually a really cool hang spot. We we packed it out and we hung it. There was a big like um you know the, these big rivers up north, there's like um big debris piles where all the all the oh, yeah. driftwood kind of lays up and um so there's this great big pile of logs just up up river from our camp and there's a a great big old spruce tree that's sticking out of this pile uh, of of logs um and a big log pile and, and it's over top of the river and it's about like eight uh, maybe eight six feet above the river sticking out like kind of a sweeper looking thing yeah and we're like hey you know what we could do we could just like run the jet boat right underneath this log and because we got the we now we have the moose in the bow of the boat in yeah. game bags and we can like actually like hold the jet boat in the current right below this log that's sticking out and throw ropes over top and then hang the meat right above the uh above the river but like and then just drift drift back out from underneath the boat and there's our moose hanging there off the off the tree that's overhanging the the river and got pretty cold there because it gets a little bit of temperature cooling down from the river and a bit of breeze so yeah temperature got down enough but the, the daytime temperatures were getting up there to like 17 plus degrees so like we couldn't leave it out there all day or anything like that so we just we just loaded it back into the jet boat the next day and i 
I made the call to run the jet boat back up the river with one of my mates and the moose and our buddies took all our camp and went down river with our, with our, with our raft and with all the weight. So we were running back up the river and the, uh, like, I'm not, I'm like a bit of an experience, I'm an experienced jet boater, but like, yeah. <laughs> man, like the, the river had dropped about a foot since we've been up there. And what was a fairly benign, like run down the river was like the scariest thing in my life going back up the river because all these rock shelves had surfaced and, and, and big rock bars that, that just weren't there before. Right. And, and I was just running out of water to get back up the river. So what we're and, just, just going to stop you. Why, why are you going up and they're going down? What's happened there? Well, is it an access point? Is, was, there, was there two access yeah, points? Yeah, there's two access oh. points. There's an access point up where we put in and there's an access point where we pull out. So the decision I had was like, do I run down river with this moose? to one access point in order to go back up river. The one thing about jet boating is like, it's actually like less, you're in more in control going up river because you're going half as fast. When you, when you go down river, you got a plane over top of the current. Whereas if you're going up river, you can plane on the current and then you can kind of pick your way, which, you know, when you're going up river, you can kind of pick your way up river. Whereas if you're going down river, you just got to go with the current mm-hmm. and rip down. So you don't quite, you can almost like when you're going up river, you can actually stop, pick your route and then shoot up through a rapid. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas going down river, you can't really do that. You kind of, you kind of committed. committed. Yeah. Um, so it's quite a bit scarier. Uh, so I thought that to go up river with this moose thinking I could just take my time and pick my route. Well, I was kind of wrong about that because the water dropped down to the point where, I just, there just was nowhere to go up. And, and of course the fear is it's like, in addition to like crashing the boat into a pile of rocks, which was happening on a fairly regular basis, the scary part was, is then you'd have to, like in order to get out of this jam on the rock would be, you have to unload the moose, free the boat up Mm. and then pack the moose up river till there's more water again, drag the boat up there and load everything up. And then try again until you smash another rock or into another rock bar. So it was about as, yeah, pretty That's uncomfortable it. experience. Sounds like the jet boater's equivalent of getting cliffed out in the back blacktail woods. <laughs> yeah, ex- <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, except that two guys trying to move six or seven hundred pounds of moose and the jet boat upriver. It's just the, the yeah, the the work the workload associated with that is more, yeah. Significantly <laughs> more. Anyways, I just don't recommend it. So it just sort of reminded me of your story of these kids with their raft or their canoe and going between lakes and what they're about to take on. So even experienced hunters can find themselves packing moose where they shouldn't pack moose, is my point, I guess. Oh, we all get a little <laughs> ambitious. We're actually doing a canoe. Uh, I'm doing a canoe trip this year. Uh, we're going to do a canoe black bear hunt. I mean, I say canoe. We're going to camp and we're going to use canoes to paddle around and get to access different areas that we might not be able to access on foot or vehicle. And uh, yeah, that one's going to be good. That's kind of like your pack raft adventure. We're sort of mixing a few different elements together just to make a hell of a good time. So that's going to be a week-long camping, fishing, bear hunting trip. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. And I mean, any excuse to add a bit of adventure to all this stuff, right? It's so much fun when you add, add another element. And, and it's like, 
I like the planning part so much. So yeah. You, you know, you get to, yeah. Are you, have you done a lot of canoeing? I've done a fair bit of, well, not a, not a ton, but I'm a pretty confident canoeer. And uh, canoeer, is that a word? Canoe operator? Canoeist. Canoeist. Yeah, canoeist, yeah. I think. yeah I'm, I'm pretty comfortable in a canoe. Um, you you, you got a break because like Canadians are canoeists. You're Australian. So I, I don't know if it, you get away with that. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Canadians take their canoes very seriously, is what I'm trying to say. Oh, <laughs> I see. I see. All right, canoeist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but my grandfather was a voyageur and a fur trader and built birch bark canoes. So, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, there was a now that, long history of relationships with canoes. But. Yeah, that'd be cool. Take, like, a, take a canoe that we made and do this trip. But we're going, we're yeah, well, we're going fiberglass. I think that's the better way to go. They move; they're lighter. They move faster. Yeah, that's 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 the sweet spot for sure. But no, no never. I've never. I've got, I've paddled to a duck hunting location with the canoe, but never tried to do anything like this. So, um, a lot of unknowns. And yeah, exactly. You just said about the planning. Normally, I'd be just going absolutely crazy on the planning. Would be like I was really hoping to get all the boys on the podcast and be talking about this, but uh, just life's just been insane and. This hunt's creeping up. I think we're going in May. This hunt's creeping up really fast and we haven't done anything. Yeah. We just, we know when we're going and where we're going and who's going. That's about all we've got so far. Well, that's half the battle. Like just picking out a crew you want to hang out with and getting excited and pulling the time off. That seems to be the hardest part for me. Yeah, it's been tough because a lot of people don't want to commit a week to spring bear. You know, they're trying to bank their holidays for their fall hunt. So. Yeah, that's a bit of a totally. That, that was one of the the driving factors for leaving my career and starting my own company, so that I could uh, I could look in the mirror when I asked the boss if I can have some time off. Yeah, totally. Well, you, and I'm sure that you'll have you'll be very supportive of going on lots of adventures. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think I've made a yeah. mistake. I've gone and employed uh, my mate Sean from Reliable yep. there, and uh, I think him and I are going to butt heads on scheduling time off for hunts we're definitely not going to be able to hunt together yeah so my entire work group are all hunters uh so all my my entire team that i that i manage and those that aren't hunters in my team are now so excited to become hunters i ended up going up with a i have have a section of, of of seven people that direct report to me and uh I actually, we, we, we had like a, what I called a, a, a section meeting. Like we actually went with everybody in our work group to do like a, a section meeting. And we actually, it was just a hunt. We just, I just took them hunting. I, <laughs> I, like I, I set up my wall tent. I cooked for everybody for a week. Everybody hunted. We had a great time. I was a couple of people in our group that didn't hunt before that. Um, and they just came along for like wildlife view and then to hang out. Um, we ended up, uh, my, my good friend there, she got her first buck on that trip and the whole team came down and helped her pack it out. And it was just so much fun. Um, yeah, but now everybody wants to be hunters. So, yeah, so we're all competing for, you know, November 11th weekend off, but, uh, that's what I'm kind of excited for, for, you know, being the boss of a company to, I get to pick what we do now for team building exercises and it's going to be a lot more outdoor stuff. Well, the other thing you can do is you can actually manage your projects so that you guys don't work for elk rut the moose rut and the deer rut you can just yeah. be like yeah we don't operate uh, the first like i've got pretty much everybody trained in my work group they're like no one even like like i've got all of our partner groups like 
they don't try to book meetings with me on the week of November 11th or like the first two weeks of September. Like nobody would even think to try to book a meeting with me. That's I got good. them all trained. You've got them trained. Like, up. I'm like, yeah, like someone tries to book a meeting with me on like November 12th. Like, you know, that's the peak of the whitetail rut, right? <laughs> like, oh, of course. Sorry, Dylan. Yeah. Yes. No, no, no. It's okay. I just, just thought, thought I clarified that. That's yeah. I said I tried that on a couple of job sites before. I've, yeah, I've been talking to a client and they've said, "Oh, yeah, it needs to be done like by the 11th." And I've just looked at them straight in the face and like the 11th, I'm like I'm not going to be here on the 11th. Like, forget it. But uh, one of my with the new company, one of my one of my biggest um, contractors, he keeps calling me up. He's like, "Hey, like I know the work's hot and heavy right now, but I need you to know and completely understand that the fourth quarter of the year." You know, October onwards until October to January, it, do- it dies right down. Like, you know, the work dies down. I'm just saying, yeah, man, that's no problem. It's totally fine. But <laughs> it's like, I need you to understand <laughs> yeah. the work's going to slow down. Then I'm like, dude, it's fine. That's actually Got ideal. It. I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> the problem, I can live with that. <laughs> yeah. That's not a problem at all. Yeah. yeah. And if you're, if you're smart, you'll hire a bunch of hunters that are all supportive of that as well. So exactly. You're like- Exactly. Be like, hey guys, uh, I'm not paying you, but you got like three months off to go hunting. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, okay, so we were just talking about bears, and maybe we'll, we're coming yeah. up on an hour here. Oh, so yeah. what we should be talking about is, uh, do you want to do a bear how to, like a how to bear hunting workshop with with me? Do you want to try and plan something out? And yeah. See if we could build a a webinar to to help people get off on the right foot for bear hunting. Yeah, I think we definitely should. Um, I mean, bear hunting's not terribly, terribly hard if you spend enough time in the bush. But there is some stuff that we could teach people to sort of fast track that process, identifying likely habitat, and uh, maybe pointing out some areas where you might not want to take bears and areas that you definitely do want to take bears. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's probably like the part that I was what I learned last year because I was kind of excited about getting out, and I probably went out a bit early. And and kind of found that the bears weren't where I would hope they were. And then, you know, later on in the season, different type of bear hunting opportunities open up. Like mm-hmm. they start to move up the mountain into the alpine. So there's probably some seasonality to it that we could talk about. Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, I could go out April 1st and I could, I could find a bear April 1st, but I'm not going to find a bear there May 1st. And I'm not going to find a bear there uh, June 1st. They're, they're, they're going to be, mm-hmm. it's absolutely seasonal. So yeah, there's a yeah okay. I mean, let's not give it all away, but let's save it for the for the okay, webinar. We'll, we'll get some brainstorming. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about the food part of it too, because I think that's probably the, you know, if we're talking about a, a webinar for bear hunting, like like the food part is the part that really got me excited mm-hmm. that I really been enjoying. So we can talk about that as well. So I think that'd be a fun project. So maybe when we get off this call, we can kind of scratch out a bit of a an outline of what something that that might look like. Um, yeah. Well, let's let's um. Let's get let's move off the call. We got lots to talk about, like private stuff, like exactly where you guys are sheep, sheep hunting. I'm excited <laughs> about that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, Region Nine. No, this has been fun. Oh, I've been there. I yeah. got that spot figured out too. Um, <laughs> it's been fun having a bit of time to hang out with you, Chris. And I know you've had a tough couple of weeks, and I, you know, I just do do appreciate you coming on and chatting a little bit about your experience there, and, and a little bit more about your initial experience with blacktail hunting. That's pretty fun stuff. So. Um, I hope you hang in there and, um, and how do people find your podcast if they want to, uh, learn more about what you're up to and yeah. Uh, yeah, you can find the podcast. It's behind the glass hunting. Um, anywhere you find podcasts, you can find it on there. Um, and we're on Instagram, 
the with the same name behind the glass hunting not super active on the podcast instagram but my personal instagram at chris print um i try and try and remain pretty active on there and yeah if anyone's got any questions reach out send them over i'd love to hear from you just love to talk hunting if uh, any blacktail whisperers are out there listening hit me up with the with some tips because i i spend a lot of time out there but i could still you know i got a lot to learn and i and uh, i'm excited for the challenge yeah totally well i'm excited to learn a little bit more about blacktail hunting too and figuring it out so um, we'll probably flesh that one out some more too maybe that's a webinar in itself just how to blacktail hunt and yeah it's kind of fun well anyways lots of lots of interest in this kind of stuff so we'll get the conversation going anyways chris thanks so much for hanging out on the Eat wild podcast and uh let's uh yeah let's talk some sheep now cheers brother thanks Hey folks, I hope you enjoyed that podcast. Now, we'd love to hear from you. So drop us a question either on our Instagram or email me directly at dylan at eatwild.ca and we'll do our best to answer that question on our future podcast or we might even build an entire podcast based on your questions. So thanks for doing that. So if you want to hear more from Eat Wild, you can come join us. We're doing a series of Eat Wild Learn to Hunt webinars. So we're getting together on a monthly basis, talking about all things hunting with a group of mentors through a webinar format. There are tons of fun. Come join us there. Now, if you happen to live in the Vancouver, British Columbia area, we do in-person workshops where we get together, learn fundamental skills for you to be a better hunter. Hope you can hang out for one of those too if you happen to be in the area. Now, we'd love it if you could leave a review or a comment wherever you listen to your podcast. That'd be a great help to us. And more importantly, share this podcast with folks who care about the stuff we're talking about. So thanks for doing that. Until next time, eat well and wild.